This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Hello and welcome to the Wine Situation, the podcast that lived to fight another day. As did I. As I have. So far as has this podcast. Uh, What is the wine situation? Well, the situation is, uh, it's (laughs) a state of the union, um, the state of the world, really. Uh, There's still a lot of COVID going on, like a whole lot, like we're getting shut down again. You know what that means? That means that I want you at home, not talking to other people, um, and I, I want you not going out and not interacting with a lot of people, and I want you to wear your mask when you do, uh, because I would like to be able to go out again someday. Uh, oh, this is a really aggressive start. Um, all of which is to say that uh, to entice you to do that, I, L. Clifford, am here on the wine situation to be your virtual drinking pal, drinking buddy, drinking friend. Uh, yeah, that's what I do. That's I don't know why I just like side like that, <laughs> like it's a, some sort of burden. I'm like I choose to make this podcast. Um, you know, so what we do here is I talk to you about wine, hopefully I make you laugh, sometimes I talk to other people, I try and teach you little things, Eh, yeah, why, you know, it's just full of segments, segment palooza, and you know what segments lead to? Tangents, tangent segments, segments and tangents. If you are new here, thank you for being here, I welcome you. I virtually hug you, which even if you were here in person, I would still be virtually hugging you because COVID. But um, yeah, so I I think I'm relatively qualified to at least say a few things about wine. I, uh, you know, I'm a certified sommelier by the Court of Master Sommeliers. Whoo, that's going to be a story later. Um, I'm almost, well, I could be done. I don't know. I don't have the results yet uh, with my wine and spirits education trust diploma program. And, uh, you know, I write for Delectable. I had my first little little bit of published content in Venice. That's spelled V-I-N-O-U-S. You guys, you don't know what it meant to be to be published in Venice. Oh, so good. I mean, not to brag on myself, but that was pretty good. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think I have at least a few... I, I'm not just some random person who's like, let me talk about wine. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you should listen to me. I mean, if I was funny enough, maybe. But I have to rely on both my wit and intellect. Or do I? Maybe I should try not knowing anything about wine. Wait, it's, I've gone too far. I've gone too far. How are you doing? I know everyone's a little bummed out right now about this whole having to stay in thing and things are closing again early and it's hard because it's if you're listening to this it's probably being released like a day or so before Thanksgiving. I, you know, <laughs> I would love to be around the table with my family and that is not happening. I don't I don't even know yet exactly what's going to be happening except that I will probably make pie even if it's just for me and my pandemic person. Um, <laughs> apple cranberry streusel is my favorite to make, but you know, it's, I, I might try and just do something completely different this year. Maybe I'll make cake. I don't know, guys. I may get crazy, but I really do love pie, so I should probably stick with that. Anyway, uh, look, we are not even four minutes into this podcast, and I think, 
that I'm about ready to give you what our agenda is, just in case you're like me and you don't like surprises. <laughs> Sometimes I like surprises, but rarely. I, I like to know, I like to be braced for things in my life, probably because I'm a Virgo who plans everything ahead. Um, and so when surprises come, I'm like, oh, but then the things are changing. Change. Oh my God, not change. I should learn to embrace change a little bit more, maybe, or should I? Maybe I should just stick to my Virgo guns. I don't know. Um, let's do an agenda, guys. So stop number one will be for a, another edition of Sexy Soil. And gosh, am I excited about this. This is a pretty cool soil I've got for you guys. I'm such a nerd. Then we have a wine that, well, it was sent to me by a woman who, who reps it. And there's uh, it's a woman and husband uh, partner who make it. And I'm, I don't know, I feel kind of cheeky bringing this wine on, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, then we're going to have Sign of Wine Times commentary, uh, which is my commentary on what's going on with the Court of Master Sommeliers, which is a sign of our times, and I guess a sign of our wine times, because uh, sexual scandal and people in power that need to be taken down, coming down, like, it's a sign of wine times. So I think people, a lot of everyone's, everyone's been asking me about it, how I feel about it. I have a lot of feelings. I'm still kind of trying to sort them out, but maybe talking to you will help me do that. And then we will have a drunk dial that was not at all drunk, although, you know, maybe I should start doing that again. I don't know. Um, for the final five questions, and this time it's with Catherine Jarvis, who is a magnificent woman in the wine industry who I can't wait to introduce you to. So that's our agenda. You guys, ugh, if you're just sitting there alone, it's time to open that wine, pour yourself a glass, or, you know, whatever, you, have some brandy, have some juice, I don't know. If you must have a kombucha, uh, have some kefir, have, I don't know, guys. Drink the, um, the liquid that separates from the curd of your cottage cheese. You do you, boo. And I am going to get us started uh, with the segment of Sexy Soil. This week, we're going to talk about Albariza. Or is it Albariza? Spelled A-L-B-A-R-I-Z-A, which is the Andalusian term for this. Where do you find the soil? It's in Jerez. Jerez. Sherry. It's in Sherry. Now, Sherry itself is complicated as hell. I know, I feel like every time I start talking about any type of wine, I'm like, wow, it's really one of the most complicated things. Uh, but no, really, I mean, I really feel that way about sherry. <laughs> it's pretty complicated how they make it, and the soil follows suit. So Albariza, um, it's, it's lots of limestone in it. It's very chalky. Now, chalk is pretty cool because it both has the ability to like drain freely so you don't get like waterlogged soil which is not good for your for your vines really you, you do not want to overhydrate them much like me l clifford uh you should not overhydrate uh unlike me these vines won't have seizures if you, they overhydrate it's just like you know waterlogged soil and grapes that's not good um <laughs> Oversharing, sorry. Uh, but so chalk drains well, but it also is, has the ability to like store water. I don't know. It's it's kind of like unicorn. But the thing about it, oh, and also it just looks, it's as it says in the uh, Oxford Companion to Wine, it's dazzlingly white in the summer. So I think you could just, you know, 
um, it glows more or less. I don't know. Um, so yeah, chalk, which is mostly limestone. Uh, what else can I tell you about it? Uh, it's general, general, um, nature. So limestone, soils high in limestone are known to make some of the most elegant wines on earth. You find a lot of that in champagne. You find a lot of that in burgundy, but the thing with it is, is it is often the cause of chlorosis. What is chlorosis? Chlorosis is when the leaves of the vine turn yellow um, because they don't, they, they, there's not enough chlorophyll in them. And when there's less chlorophyll, uh, photosynthesis cannot carry out as well. So when you have chlorosis, the quality and the yield of your grapes is going to go down. Now, what causes chlorosis? Um, so for some reason, some rootstocks cannot, in, in high limestone soils, uh, cannot take up iron. Why high limestone soils? Because limestone has a high pH. So I know it's like one thing causes the other. So the limestone has a high pH, pH and the, pH, the high pH um, causes the vines not to be able to take up iron and the lack of iron causes chlorosis, which causes the photosynthesis, which causes the shitty grapes. So how do you deal with that? Well, I'm sorry, this is turning into not just a soil lesson, but also a rootstock lesson, because rootstock is also very complicated, you guys. I mean, if we hadn't figured out rootstock, and not that we've totally figured it out, but we sort of figured it out, like, um, then phylloxera would have killed vines. So basically, here's the interesting thing about the different species of grapes out there. Um, the European grapes were Vitis vinifera. Um, and then over in the Americas, they found a lot of other vitises. Uh, and what they figured out is that you can, basically it's like you have a foundation to the house, like a nice foundation to the house, and then you can make your house of bricks, you can make your house out of wood, you can build whatever, and it's still going to be that on top. But the roots need to be something that works well in the ground, which they are placed, like the foundation to your house. Um, so they discovered that a lot of uh, grapevines from the Americas were resistant to chlorosis, and then, but then like some of them were not good with uh, with high with, with limestone soils. So they started crossing the vines. Now, one of the vines um, rootstocks that does well with high pH soils is called Vitis berlandieri. So a lot of high limestone areas, areas are like crossings of vinifera and berlandieria um, rootstocks. That was probably way too much inside baseball before we even had a drink. Anyway, that's, that's the one thing to know about Albariza. Uh, the other cool thing about it, this to me is even more interesting, is how they deal with it, to deal with how dry it is there and how hot. It's dry and hot, which is kind of probably how you don't want to have sex. You want to be well lubed and, you know, well, you, well you're going to be hot. Guys, that was too much. I'm so sorry. Okay, so um, it gets really hot in Hareth in the summer. So in the winter, the autumn and the winter, after they've harvested, they dig these pits in the Albariza between the vines, these big pits that over the winter, autumn and winter will collect water. And like, basically they're like, give, like plowing big troughs, troughs, troughs. I don't know how you say that. Anyway, it allows water, more water to be uh, stored than, than would run off. And then 
right in springtime, they smooth out the soil. And then as summer comes and it gets dry, this albariza soil, like it forms a freaking crust. So you picture all this water kind of beneath the crust and the crust keeps the water from evaporating. So the vines have just enough water because it's like storing the water because the crust is keeping it in, but the chalk is letting it drain out. What a complicated web we weave. Um, that's just one of the fun soils to talk about in Jerez, probably to me the most interesting. There's also barros, which is mostly clay, and arenas, which is mostly sand. But those are for different grapes, for like the palomino, which is what you find in like the manzanilla, and um, the fino, and the oloroso, and amontillado, and palo cortado, uh, like the, the more fino ones, the, or the palomino ones, you, they're going to grow that in some, uh, some albariza soil. I don't know how sexy all that was, but to me it was interesting. I hope you got something out of it. If nothing else, next time you drink a glass of sherry, and guys, we should all drink more sherry, picture this dazzling white soil and beneath that crust is a trough of water. <laughs> I don't know why this interests me so much. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. What we are going to talk about now is our wine. Now, a couple of weeks ago, probably a few by now, I was a guest on the Pairs with Life podcast, and the wine that um, paired with one of the goth songs I mentioned that was being drunken by the host of it was the Gladiator Cycles Canned Pinot Noir. And so I had a post of this on my page, and Heather Bristol, who goes by at wifey underscore auntie underscore psalm, because she's a, a, a woman of many who does many things, like being a wife and aunt and a psalm. And apparently uh, someone who works for Wine Hooligans, which is a company that specializes in artisan wines made by passionate winemakers and viticulturists. Anyway, she saw that and she's like, oh, I rep that wine. It's super cool. Uh, we rep a lot of other cool wines. It's like a very like female-friendly brand, which, you know, I got that feeling looking at the can, the Gladiator Cycles, because there's like this badass redhead on an old-fashioned bike, but she was wearing new clothes because she gives no fucks, um, which is, you know, what I like to imagine myself doing. <laughs> Actually, riding a bike naked does not sound good. I would give some fucks about that. I'd be like, could I at least have a pair of shorts? Um, anyway, so Heather was like, hey, I rep that. You should try it. I'll send you some, and I'll send you some of the other brands that Wine Hooligans reps. So she did indeed send me the cycles, which I already drank because it was just too much fun not to drink it. But she also sent me a bottle from Broadside. She sent me the 2008 Broadside Margarita Vineyard Merlot. And I feel always very saucy when I, um, when I drink Merlot because A, I'm kind of working on a script. Merlot the movie, it's like... So basically Sideways is like a movie about some shitty men. <laughs> so I wanted to write something from like the perspective of women in the wine industry in Napa. Um, or I might pick a different region since I've never actually lived in Napa. I don't know. So anyway, now felt like as good a time as ever to drink some Merlot. So thank you, Heather Bristol, for sending me this wine. At least I hope thank you. I haven't tasted it yet. It smells really good. And the bottle is very, it's black and white and just very, I don't know, not exactly goth, but it's minimalist in a way that speaks to me. So, you know, I did my little sleuthing looking on the various websites about this. Uh, let, let me tell you what they have to say about, uh, what Broadside has to say about Broadside. <laughs> Since 2006, Broadside has been crafting wines that showcase the unique soils and topography of Paso Robles. 
focusing on pure fruit expression with balance and elegance. Ooh, I like. Inspired by the quote-unquote broadside collection of our founders, Stephanie and Brian Tarizzi, we approach each wine as a blank canvas where we can capture the wine, the vine's personality, the terroir of the vineyard, and the influence of Mother Nature. So if this wine is not made by a woman, at least it's made by Mother Nature. That was me. Um, our fruit is sourced from sustainably farmed vineyards, furthering our ability to make a wine that's truly expressive of Paso Robles. Well, color me happy. That sounds like something I want to drink. So let's see, uh, let's see. I don't know why I can't talk today. I'm having like a major case of dry mouth. Um, all right, I will read you like the text sheet for this wine and then I will taste it and give you my tasting notes and then I'll see what their tasting notes say. Um, oh my, well, before I tell you that, I must tell you that Wine Enthusiast awarded it 93 points, which is you know, pretty damn good. Okay, let's see here. The 2018 Margarita Vineyard Merlot from Paso Robles by Broadside. Um, oh, and they give a definition of Broadside. A, a sizable sheet of paper printed on one side. I didn't know that. Wow, that's good to know. B, family-owned, sustainably farmed wine from Paso Robles, California. The vineyard sourcings were sourced from sustainably farmed SIP uh, certified vineyards in San Luis Obispo County, Margarita Vineyard is within the Santa Margarita Ranch, AVA. So these are just subregions of subregions. You know, the smaller the subregion, the more, I don't know, elite the wine, maybe? I don't know. Um, it just, I like to get specific. I love people that are specific about their wine. It means they're not just throwing a bunch of grapes that were like leftover extras from whoever into a vat and hoping for the best, all to be corrected with Mega Purple. It means this is probably some quality wine. Okay, let's see here. Appalachian Paso Robles, Vivier, Santa Margarita Ranch. Should I have a margarita after this podcast? Probably not if I'm drinking wine. Okay, um, varietal. 78% Merlot, 22% Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, so there is some cabin here. Vintage 2018. pH. Oh, guys, we were just talking about pH. Um, the pH of this wine is 3.8. The titratable acidity... <sighs> is 5.2 grams per liter. The alcohol, oh, oops, I'm seeing that before I blind myself on it, 14.5%. Uh, winemaker notes, a wet winter helped fill up reservoirs. Oh my God, how weird. We were just talking about uh, wet winters in Hereth, and I guess they also sometimes need them in Paso Robles. <clears throat> okay, a wet win winter helped fill up reservoirs and bring new life to cover crops, then to the vines. We saw even temperatures throughout the growing season, allowing for consistent fruit quality across the board. Maturation. 11 months... Guys, why is my mouth not functioning today? Ugh. 11 months in neutral French oak. Okay. Well... Shall we uh, take a sip? Maybe once I have some vino flowing, then I will be a little... Ooh, this smells... Ooh, there's a lot... There's there's a bunch coming out this glass at me already. Um, okay, I'm going to cheers you. Oh, by the way, I'm drinking this out of my Bordeaux glass by Zalto, because, you know, in Bordeaux, at least the right bank, they make a lot of... It's a lot of Merlot. Cheers. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, baby, please. Oh, there's this is delicious. This is this is decadent. Um, 
Oh, oh my god. Okay, guys, I like this wine. We all need to drink a little more Merlot in our lives. So now I'm going to play the game. Sometimes I play the game that is a game, which is who, what, when, where, why wine. Now I'm going to play the game that's not a game, but I like to call it a game, which kind of is the game. <laughs> Which is uh, what's in the glass, where I walk you through sort of how we wine professional peoples do it. So it's a fairly purpley wine. It's rather translucent. Um, you can definitely see your fingers through it. So, but it's it's a little more purpley, a little a little ruby purple, I would say. Okay, I paused for a helicopter. I don't know if that'll help. Um, yeah, uh, tears look to be fairly fairly thick, medium thick. Uh, on the nose, medium plus. First thing I thought was like chocolate, and then there's actually almost something, almost a little meaty, which is weird. That makes me almost think of Syrah, which I maybe I don't know where I blinded on this, but I think it's Syrah. Probably not. It's, well, I don't know. Okay, so uh, let's go on. Smell chocolate. Smell something a little meaty, fleshy. Um, a little bit of like like a little bit of green, it's like someone wafted some arugula nearby. <laughs> uh, black fruit and red fruit, plummy. Uh, red berries, like I'm picturing like raspberries actually. And purple plums, damson plums perhaps. Um, yeah, but like cooked, like, oh, pr pruny. Maybe it's a bit pruny, that's what I'm getting. It's fleshy. It smells fleshy. Uh, let us put it on the palate and see what we find. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm. goodness. Okay, so it is a dry wine, despite having a richness. Uh, the acid, I actually think, is kind of medium plus. Interesting. Hmm. Alcohol is definitely elevated. I I can feel a burn. I can feel a burn. I would put that actually at high probably. And tannins are medium plus. They are fine grained, but a little underripe. But it actually the body in general like feels very silky, so it's kind of adds a little nice a nice bit of grip to this wine. Otherwise, it would just feel like it was sliding on by, without giving you the time of day, like a very rude wine. This wine is polite. It has manners. Probably because it's... I'm now calling this wine a Virgo wine just because I like the... I don't know. I, it's... Sorry. Um, hmm. Flavor intensity. Body's medium. Flavor intensity is medium plus. You get a lot more fruit on the tongue. Like, once again, like, the tongues and the, the tongues... The, uh, the... I can't talk. Um, the, like, the prunes and the, the berries and like some black cherry probably um also still like a little bit of greenery going on uh, a little bit of like yeah i still get that almost chocolatey nature to it it's really a lovely wine if this wine were a piece of clothing what would it be i think it would be like a, I think it would be a crushed velvet, but like high quality crushed velvet, uh, maxi skirt. By maxi, I mean it's like a big skirt, but it's like flowing and it's velvet and it's 
smooth, but it's got body to it. That's what this wine is. Oh, uh, purple, of course. Doi. What else? There's like a hint of balsamicness to it. It's very interesting. Still, yeah, very raisinated, very, very, I would taste it and be like, this is definitely New World wine. Um, it's not like the most complex wine on earth, but I don't mind that. It just kind of is like, gives you like the nice fruit. It gives you a little bit of chocolate. It's, there is just that hint of green in there, like a, a tiny hint of like an autumn leaf hanging around. Um, the finish is, Oh, you get something floral on the finish. Well, that's interesting. I guess that's why they say, like, to pay attention to the front palette and the mid palette and the back palette. Should I do that? Oh, why not? Okay. I'm going to take another sip and pay attention to what I experience where. Mm. It's, like, bitey and acid on the tip of the tongue. It gets all fleshy and fruity midway through. And the end, there's, like, this elegant flower thing that comes out. That is fun. Um, let's see what their tasting notes are. <clears throat> Vivid ruby, cherry, cassie, and succulent herbs on the fragrant nose joined by slowly building tobacco nuance. Interesting. This is completely different than what I had to say. Plush and supple in texture, showing good depth to a lively bitter cherry and blackcurrant flavors. A smoky note appears on the finish. I thought flowers, not smoke, but okay. Um, with velvety tannins. Yes, they are. And a lingering dark berry character. Well, those are not exactly the same tasting notes that, that I had, but I don't mind them. I mean, I do get the cherry. I do get the, the herbal thing. Maybe the thing that I pick out as being meaty is more tobacco-y thing, or maybe that's the floral thing. I don't know, guys. Well, my mouth was dry today, so maybe I'm also off my game. Also, to each their own. Um, anyway, what I have to tell you is that I would put drinking this wine uh, as being akin to, you know, having some nice purple crushed velvet around. Okay, so good job, Broadside, and thank you, thank you, Heather, for sending this to me. Uh, okay, so I was going to talk about this up top, but then I was like, maybe I'll wait till I have like some wine in my system to talk about it. Uh, people have been asking me, like every other person, like how I feel about the CMS scandal. And by CMS, I mean Quartermaster Sommeliers. I mean the organization that got famous in the film Psalm. The organization that they were sort of parodying, in, not parodying, mimicking, um, embodying in Uncourt. The, 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 being a master sommelier is like, well, like being a master of wine, except for people in a restaurant, it's the pinnacle of of what you can be in the wine world you will get paid so much more if you are a master um it is also insanely difficult and it is also pretty much all white men <laughs> so there was an article that came out about a month ago in the new york times in which like a whole bunch of women sommeliers and you guys oh also I I have opinions about this because I am, I, when I say I'm a certified sommelier, they have different levels of certifications. The certified sommelier is level two. I mean, I'm, I have paid money to this organization to get their certifications because when people see that you're a certified sommelier, they give you respect. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's 
owned or it's run by mostly straight white men. Like if you looked at their now former board of directors, that's what it is. So I was not surprised when this article came out in which like 20 something um, women sommeliers, not well, some of the masters, but like came out and were like, hey, uh, <laughs> sexual misconduct has been rampant by many of these men sommeliers who would lead so here's the other thing with it is like they publish no textbooks except for the intro course they give you a little bit of a book but like you have to find a mentor you have to be friends like if you want to succeed at it you need also because nothing they do is transparent like it's all cloaked in secrecy they will never tell you what the blind you blind tasted is where they will never tell you how you actually what the answers to so their tests where they never tell you how they really make decisions about anything basically just like you know make friends with the master psalm try and memorize your facts and hope for the best has been how it goes and so you know when you're a young female in the wine industry uh an older male in high regard like you're hoping you can make you know a professional connection and they can be a mentor but a lot of these master psalms were you know being like hey come by, I'll help you with your blind tasting, and then answering their door naked, um, or worse. And I don't know what to say. I The problem with this is is it didn't, it didn't surprise me when, when the article came out. I was just like, there's sexism is fairly rampant in the wine industry, which, I mean, granted, so I was talking to my friend Eric yesterday, and he's like, I feel like most of the women I know, like, in, at least in LA, in our age range, there are a lot more women in the wine industry. But like, he's like, I feel like they're all women, and I'm like, well, maybe in our bubble, but not in general. And also, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm like, basically, it, it, there were things that happened that were technically consensual, but they were all came with like promises, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's complicated. And then I think about, you know, I'll tee-hee and laugh when someone makes a sexy... Like, I kind of always realized I'd be like, okay, I pride myself on, like, I can hang with the boys. I'm cool. Whatever. They're going to make some comments. They're going to hit on me. Whatever. Um, so I'm like, have I been complicit in people that have had worse things happen to them than, than have to me? I don't know. It's complicated. Um, all these uh, things coming to light, though, have led to many master psalms, like the good ones. It made me so sad. Some of those ones who, like, who I'd met, who I thought were like the good guys, and were like some of the worst, <laughs> really, in how they treated women. Um, a whole lot of master psalms decided to like just get rid of their pen. They're, they decided they're no longer going to be a member. That even though it's like the hardest certification they ever earned, they're like, I'm not going to be part of this organization anymore. Um, after a petition that many people, including me, signed, the entire board of the Court of Master Sommeliers has resigned, and they are now trying to form a new one. And part of me is just like, why do we even want to save this organization if it's rebuilt to what we need? And this is why it's a sign of the Wine Times, is just like people are becoming more aware, I guess, um, of everything in the world this year, particularly, and who has power and who abuses it and I hope I don't know if I'm even making sense but I'm like is if it is rebuilt it's going to be completely different I mean maybe it's just time to fucking retire the court of master sommeliers 
and build a new empire. Not even an empire. Maybe it's time that we all come together and have a nice little wine village. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I am looking closely at myself and how I have gone about in the wine world and how I continue to. I will be watching and waiting and I think I'm writing an article. I've been working on an article about this for Delectable. I'm waiting on the go-ahead for them to actually publish it. But I, I think it's a step forward that people at least could come forward about this. I sadly, like I said, it didn't surprise me, and sadly it's not just fixing the court that's going to change how things are for women in the business. Um, yeah, but step by step, I guess. I don't know. Sorry, that was probably more depressing and in-depth than you are used to on this podcast, but there you go. Okay. I've said my piece. I'll probably think of things I wished I said or later or like listen back and be like, you did not say that right at all, Cliffy. That's what I call myself when I'm being hard on myself sometimes is Cliffy. Or when I want myself to like, I almost said man up. <laughs> Ironic. When I want to like get myself tough. I'm like, come on, Cliffy, give him what you got. Um, but that's, that's what I have to say about it right now is that times are changing. Uh, change is, in this case, I think very good. I don't know if the court is worth saving. I will continue to look to the people that are the good ones. I will not stay silent in the future if I think there are things going on. Or I will not, if there are, I, I mean, we've all had the, every woman's had the experience where she thinks she's making a professional um, connection and it quickly becomes clear that that is not what the man was after. And sometimes if they're in power, you question whether turning it down is going to jeopardize your career. That's what I wanted to say at the top. Ugh. Anyway, um, that was a bunch of rambling. Thank you for bearing with it. Hopefully, because I have a really good drunk dial. Um, so I spoke this week with Catherine Jarvis. She is the head of Jarvis Communications, which is a wine, spirits, and travel. Um, it's a, a PR company, um, basically. They, I've gotten, they've put, they put on really good events, A, they put on, <laughs> this is not just me sucking up because I've gotten to go some really nice wine dinners um, with them, but they, they have excellent wines, um, they have excellent people that work for them, not just Catherine, but, but like Monique, um, ah, of course I'm always blanking on names the minute, but, but everyone I've always ever met and interacted with their male and female are fantastic people. Catherine is so warm. Um, her wineries she represents are excellent. One of them, Ehlers, I'm gonna definitely have the wine on, and possibly the winemaker, woman winemaker, on the pod later. Um, anyway, uh, in the meantime, please enjoy the final five with Catherine Jarvis of Jarvis Communications. Ba-dum-bum. -bum. Wow, that was that was bad. Ignore the but um bum. Um, please enjoy this drunk dial, and I'll see you next week. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's about about time we did this, even though it would have been fun if it were in person. But say la vie these days. Yes. Yes. Well, if you are ready, then we will jump into the questions. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Uh, question number one is just what you're drinking these days. Well, um, I have been drinking a lot of kind of a little bit older wines that I've recently got at some of these wine auctions that were put on this summer to support sommeliers during COVID. 
um, I was lucky enough to, to kind of lowball a couple of things, to be honest, and, and get some Cornas um, from Jean-Luc Colombo. And then I was able to get some Barbarescos from a producer called Casina Lucina, I think it is, um, through the Del Posto auction. So producers I'm not really familiar with, but I trusted the original buyers. And I thought, huh, these are good priced, well priced, um, and things I could try. I'm also drinking some um, what? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm also, I have, my office is a sea of Coravind wines right now because we've <laughs> been doing a lot of virtual tastings with our clients. Um, and so I, I invested in a Coravind for the first time in my life. And it's really actually fun. I never thought I would really get into just not opening the bottle and enjoying it. Um <laughs> But it's the way I can taste it, and then other my colleagues can taste it, and we can do it distanced. So I'm really nice. uh, enjoying my new t- my new my new tool. That is one thing that I have yet to to get myself. Partly because I feel like I just already accumulate so many wines. I'm like, if I kept every wine, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm like, I'm gonna run out of room. My poor my fridge is already like overflowing. Uh, right. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Well, um, question number two is what is either a favorite or one of the more interesting pairings you've enjoyed? Well, um, recently I've been enjoying a lot of Valpolicella, like a classic style um, called Mafe. I believe I had some of that at dinner with you. We did. You're right. With the oysters. That has been – I have it with oysters. So it's a chilled red wine that is a perfect pairing for oysters. Um, so that's something I've had when I've been able to get my hands on oysters or kind of seafood, but I don't, it's not a normal pairing for me. So that was a discovery. Um, and then I drink a ton of bubbles. A ton of bubbles? I love, but I love that bubbles can just go with pretty much any food. Um, (laughs) and so that's been something that I've been having a lot. Um, if I have somebody to share it with, of course, because mm-hmm. you know, when you open bubbles, you have to drink the whole bottle. Yeah, yeah, I know. I always hold out hope that those uh, savers will keep it more than a day, and eh, right. sometimes a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> do you have a um, a favored, do you go straight for the champagne, or are you more of a cava girl, or lambrusco, or just any sort of bubble? Well, I love champagne. Um, I can't often afford to drink um, (laughs) champagne. It's funny, um, last week uh, when we found out, you know, who the president would be, my entire neighborhood kind of was out in the street. And (laughs) I brought out a bottle of champagne um, from Agapart, and that was gone very quickly. And I thought, huh. (laughs) And then it turned into um, sparkling wine from Piedmont, and then the rest of the the rest of the afternoon was prosecco. Nice. But I looked at my bin, like a... and there were about there were about six or seven bottles at the end of the day, <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty low now. <laughs> yeah, we went through some bubbles ourselves that, <laughs> that weekend. It's like definitely was the right occasion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so question number three is in in my sleuthing about you and your your life, I found out that you spent some time in Chicago and also that you spent some time in Italy. So I'm figuring that if you don't have strong feelings about who makes good pizza, pizza, you at least have strong feelings about where to get Italian food in LA. So if you have places for either of those things that you are our favorite places, I'd be curious to hear them. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, I cook a lot 
and I cook a lot of Italian food. So that would be something I, you know, I, I do quite a bit because I've got kids. If I'm going out to eat, ah. I really do love Felix. Um, I love been. the pastas. I know that's not super traditional, but I, I love the texture of the pasta. I think he's mm. got a really unique handle on that. Um, I've always loved mozza for Italian food. Yeah. <laughs> um, very, very good. You know, I, where I shop, there is this amazing Italian import store on um, Olympic Intent in Santa Monica called Guidi Marcello's. And it's this tiny little spot where, that nobody knows about, but they sell wonderful pastas from Italy, like real tortellini from mm. Emilia Romagna. And they've got the best cheeses, and they're Ooh. pretty affordable, too. Um, so I love that. I shop at Italy all the time as well, um, as far as their kind of cheese and charcuterie is concerned. And I buy a lot of my pastas there. It's actually been a great place to shop during covid they have super safety precautions oh, when you cool. go, and they also... I take it you're a West Sider, huh? Yes, I'm a West Sider. <laughs> I was guessing from the location. Cool. But during the, yeah, during the time when nobody could find dried pasta on the shelves, you go to Eagle, oh. and it was just, they had, they had anything you needed, so... Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about pizza? Any, any favorites? Yes. Um, I do like Pizzeria Moza a lot. Um, when I can get over there, I actually haven't explored that many of the new newer pizza places. I feel like, like there's Pizzana, been lots of I'm new ones try. popping up. Which there's one's a lot right? of them. There's yeah. a, there are a lot of them popping up. Um, pizza, you know, I do have kids, so they dominate the decision making, and they love <laughs> fire pizza <laughs> when it comes to that. They also love the Whole Foods pizza that you can uh, oh. take out. Um, I've never tried actually, it. It's, oh, they're margarita pizzas, like one of the best. Oh, I will have to do that <laughs> if you like that. But um, I do. No, there's the, I have a ton of pizza places on my list of of, of that I'd like to to visit that I haven't yet. Mm, so much pizza, so little time. Yeah. Um, okay. Question number four is: I noticed uh, that that your your handle on the social medias is Suave Girl, so I was curious how how that came to be. um you know I don't even remember I think that was like you didn't really know when you were creating these apps or the names for these apps that they would stick right back (laughs) in the day when they were starting (laughs) yeah you'd actually need to live with those names forever (laughs) so I just thought it was funny I like suave um my my husband actually that's his like house wine he just loves a simple Suave Classico, which is great um, because it's pretty inexpensive. Um, And so I just thought it was funny, Suave Girl. I would actually, had I known what I know now, I would probably put my name in it or something. Uh (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's what stuck. It was actually, I think, my name also when Friendster was out. Do you remember Friendster? I, you know, I think I never got on Friendster. I remember people using it, and I, I don't think I ever managed to get on it. <laughs> yeah, well, it predated Facebook, so Suave Girl has been my, my handle for quite wow. some time. What about Live Journal? <laughs> no, no, so now, I, now I'm thinking of all the retired retired apps. That, um, that I don't know. Oh, yeah, that was like a blogging platform kind okay. of that was around the time of Facebook coming out. Um if anyone still has one, I would be amazed. <laughs> um, oh, interesting. 
Okay, so the last um the last of the, the five questions are um is just what we've been asking people since the beginning of the show, uh not necessarily wine related, just uh we like to ask people what's bringing you joy these days. Um what is bringing me joy these days? You know why going for walks in my neighborhood um, it's really great. You know, I think L.A. can be one of those cities where you live next to people for many, many years and you don't ever really meet them. Yeah. Um, and we have a great neighborhood, and it's just, you know, it's diverse. There's lots of different people from different backgrounds and ages. And we've really gotten to know a lot of those people through COVID. Um, everybody seems to have a dog now. There's so many puppies. <laughs> <laughs> and a dog so, named what? There's so many puppies, new puppies in the neighborhood. Aww. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we'll even, when it's nice out, I mean, it's changing because it's getting dark now, but we'll even kind of eat in front of our house just to kind of be social and wave at people as they go by. So that's what brings me, I think, the most joy is having gotten to get to know so many of my neighbors. And I, I really do hope that that continues. That so. is absolutely lovely. Yeah. I'm about to go on a walk around the Silver Lake Reservoir, so I, I hear you on the walking, but there's oh, not fantastic. as much. <laughs> Lots of cute dogs there. <laughs> and well, also, I love food. Food is my food and wine are my, you know, passion, so yeah. um, I continue to cook a lot and make a lot of soups right now, so that, that brings me a lot of joy. Cool. Oh, well, this was a good, uh, it was good to catch up with you. Um, you too. Is there, if you want, you can tell tell the listeners where they can find you on the social medias or if they're interested in, in your, in Jarvis, uh, in your company, or uh, your chance to shout out anything you want to shout out. <laughs> sure, you can take a follow um, on Instagram, we're at Jarvis.com, and it's just Jarvis.com, I think, on Twitter and Facebook, too. And personally, I'm at Suave Girl, Suave as in Suave Vapulicella. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's it. Or you can check us out at our website, which is JarvisCommunications.com. Cool, cool, cool. Well, um, this was a pleasure, and I'm sure I'll probably be seeing you on a Zoom or something sometime soon. <laughs> I really hope so. I really hope so. Definitely. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I will hopefully talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> cool. Cheers. Glass. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with my I just drink wine. I don't fuck with minute mates. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with coffee mates. I just drink wine. Give me red, white, or say, Don't touch me, motherfucker. I'm a sommelier. And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.